What role should the local church uh, play in the life of a Christian, in the life of a believer? Uh, Why should a believer desire to be among, to be with uh, the people of God? What ought to motivate him in that? What cost should a believer be willing to expend to bear up uh, and help the people of God? Uh, As we continue in 1 Thessalonians, Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica, these are the kinds of questions that might come to the surface in our minds as Paul is addressing uh, these believers and the focus centers on the significance of the local body and seeking to be with the local body. So it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse 17. 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 through chapter 3. So let's give our attention now to God's word. Paul writes this, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one would be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For For when we were with you, We kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly, and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. In the opening words of John Stott's Uh, classic work, classic book, Basic Christianity, Uh, Stott says this, quote, Hostile to the church, friendly to Jesus Christ. These words describe large numbers of people, especially young people today. Stott goes on to explain that the reasons for this are not only a resistance among many people to anything that savors of institutionalism or establishment or authority, but also because people often see a, 
an inconsistency or a contradiction between the ministry and the character of Jesus Christ himself and the character of God's people, the character of the church. Uh, In a way, that's understandable. The church is full of sinners, people who fall short, people whose profession of faith and the actual living out of that faith can sometimes be quite far apart. Nevertheless, one thing is for certain. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament are not only radically Christ-centered, they are radically church-centered, radically congregation-centered. It's life and participation with the church of Christ, which God calls his people to. And it's with the whole community, the whole body of Christ, that God has covenanted with his people. This is an obvious fact, but the words we've just heard, the words that were read here in Thessalonians, are part of a letter to a church, to a congregation. They're intended to be heard and read to the whole church, gathered together. In fact, of Paul's 13 letters in the New Testament, nine of them are written and addressed directly to entire congregations. Of the remaining four, two of them are to Timothy, specifically instructing him in his oversight of the church in Ephesus. One of them is to Titus, whom Paul left in Crete specifically for the ordering of the churches there, and one is to Philemon, which is addressed not only to him, but at the very beginning to the church that met in his house. Throughout Scripture, so much of the context, the environment in which God is working, revealing himself, speaking to his people, is in the context of community, corporate body life. And while God, by his Spirit, dwells within every individual who is in Jesus Christ, he calls us not only to a commitment to the church, to his people, but to desire, to long for those people. Psalm 95 The psalmist says, oh, come, let us, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. And this is what we see expressed in this part of Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. Paul's longing, along with his companions, to be with these people. Look again at verse 17. He says, Since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. We wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. What's our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord at his coming? Is it not you? You're our glory and joy. Paul's words clearly express this deep longing to be with these brothers and sisters. You may recall Paul's expression of thanks earlier in the letter for these believers' work of faith, their labor of love, their steadfastness of hope. Last week we heard Paul express thanks for how the word of God, they were receiving it, not as the words of men, but as it really is the word of God. But Paul does not stop there. He wants to be with them. And and you can almost feel the desire Paul is expressing. Repeatedly in this passage, verse 17, though torn away, we endeavored 
the more eagerly, with great desire, to see you face to face. Chapter 4, verse 6, we long to see you. Chapter 4, verse 10, we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face. Chapter 4, verse 11, may our God and the Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Why does Paul desire and long so much to be with this church, to be with these brothers and sisters? I would suggest at least two things. First of all, Paul, and let's not forget it's not only Paul, it's Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We hear repeatedly Paul use we. We desired these things. But Paul and his companions had been in the trenches with these folks. They had not only tasted together the powerful working of God, bringing them to faith, establishing this church, but they were in the trenches together facing affliction, facing opposition from the religious leaders, the civil leaders. So they shared in a rich and meaningful experience. And that experience certainly bound them together. For us, this is why individual believers that maybe we've only known on a surface or casual level for some time, after sharing a two-week mission trip with them, or over the weekend, back, a backpacking trip, that, that relationship oftentimes significantly deepens. The bond, the relationship deepens. Because there was a mutual share in an experience that was rich and powerful. And for us, in the most practical of ways, this is why engaging in a discipleship group, a shepherding group, extending hospitality one to another is so helpful and important. It's in those kinds of environments and here where the believers one anothering grows. And a beautiful thing happens as that fellowship, as that one anothering grows, it magnifies corporate worship. Because the glory of God is magnified as God's people, though many, are bound together with one voice, one heart, a singular love for the Lord. So it's not only relational impact, it's vertical impact, magnifying the glory of God. They had this share together. But there's a second reason why he desired to see them and be with them, and I think perhaps an even greater reason. And it was the nature of his bond with these people. I, I would call it a spiritually familial bond. It's spiritual and it's familial. If you look at verse 17, this is where we see this. He says, since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart. Notice he calls them brothers. Brothers. This is a relationship that is unique uh, to the Christian. The word brother is adelphos. It's a compound word. Ah, meaning from. Delphos, womb. From the same womb. Right, that's what makes blood brothers, blood sisters so special. They come from the same parents. They have occupied the same mysterious world of their mother's womb. They share a common origin. There's no other relationship that has those features. And Paul's saying the same is true for every believer in Christ spiritually. Remember what Peter said 
we have all been birthed into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And the womb, if you will, that has given us new life is the empty tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every believer has passed through death and new life by our union with Jesus Christ. So Paul's communicating to them the reality they're in the same family, the same household of faith. They share the same heavenly father as brothers and sisters in Christ. They have the same elder brother, the Lord Jesus. Paul felt so strongly for these people that he says in verse 17, when we were torn away from you, those words torn away means orphaned. We were orphaned. In the face of opposition against our will, we were were orphaned. We should be Convicted, Uh, the expression of Paul's love for these believers went well beyond fondness. It wasn't that they shared a similar background. Paul was uh, steeped in his previous way of life and religious Pharisaism, Uh, not so much the Thessalonians. It wasn't their common background. It wasn't a common nation or land. It was... Because despite the many likely differences, they shared the same Heavenly Father. What is the basis of our love? It's really critical. Jesus promised he would build his church. And God's people are called to love what God loves. I think that's part of what was driving Paul. They long to be together, long to be with them. We see another aspect of Paul and his companions' relationship to this church. They long to see them. They long to be with them. But he he goes beyond that. He reminds them of the cost that they endured in order to support them amidst suffering. Chapter 3, verse 1. When we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel, to establish you that you would not be moved by these afflictions. Recall from Acts 17 that when Paul, Silas, and Timothy helped to found and establish this church in Thessalonica, they, they were persecuted. They were forced out of the city. They fled. And where did they go? They traveled first to Berea, and then the scripture says, on to Athens. So here now, later, Paul is writing, reminding them that while it was in Athens that they decided to then send Timothy. And just to help ensure that they wouldn't be disappointed that Paul himself had not returned, Paul gives this lofty title to Timothy. Did you see that? God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. I think it's used a couple times in scripture. More times, co-workers used men, women, co-laboring for the gospel. But not here. Paul says, this is God's co-worker. Essentially, he's communicating with, with, with strength, with force, that he's coming from the apostolic team, an extension of that team, with the power of God. And so Paul's point is, Let no Thessalonian voice disappoint you that the apostles themselves had not visited you. We're not not sending you here a mere messenger 
boy. He's a part of our team. He's ministering in the power of God. It's really one of their greatest resources. This is the first sending that Paul does with Timothy. It's not going to be the last. It's going to become a pattern through Paul's ministry and Timothy's ministry. About a decade after Paul's ministry and writing to the church in Thessalonica, about a decade later, he writes this to the church in Philippi. For I hope in the Lord to send Timothy. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy proves himself to be trustworthy, effective in ministry. And what a mission this would have been. Uh, A mission that involved risk, required courage, a traveling round trip from Athens where Timothy is sent to uh, Macedonia, to Thessalonica. Round trip would be about three to four weeks. Not to mention however long Timothy spent in Thessalonica going to exhort and encourage them. It's suggested at this time Timothy was likely in his early 20s. And it's a solo mission. Would he make it? Would he make it back? Could he handle the pressure? And interwoven through all of this circumstance is the reality of suffering, affliction, personal cost. Why do they send Timothy? To establish and exhort you in your faith that you would not be moved by these afflictions. Yet you know we're destined for this. And it's not just the Thessalonians who are suffering. Paul and Silas suffer the loss of Timothy. When we could bear it no longer, we sent Timothy. One of their co-workers has left them. And then Timothy himself, he's considering the cost, extending himself to bear up the faith of others. And so what we have here is a picture of people sharing together in suffering, one for another, carrying one another's burdens. I remember a number of years ago while attending class at seminary in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, uh, the pastors in this class were sharing their ministry context where they served uh, and uh, make up of their church. And a fellow PCA pastor from Maryland, dear brother Dave Barker, he was describing his church. And he said, my church is about 260, 270 communicant members. We have a private Christian school. Uh, I've been serving there umpteen years, and we've just planted a church. About 50 or 60 people went to, uh, to plant that church, along with two elders. And as he was describing the beginnings of this church plant, I, I could tell both by his words but also by his countenance the pain, like the pain that he was feeling um, through this process. Something very good, something worthwhile. But there was a sense of loss. We just lost 50 people. We just lost two of our ruling elders. Something good, something godly, but something, something that is costly. And, and Paul and Silas and Timothy, I think, are f- feeling that, expressing that. There's a cost to what they're doing. And we are to consider the cost, the kind of cost we're willing to endure, to bear up, to give support to the body of Christ. 
whether it's through words of encouragement or empathizing with a brother or sister in the Lord who is in pain, serving in various capacities. Many are the ways that we can demonstrate a costly care, a costly love to bless the body of Christ. And it's as we do that that we are reflecting the costly love, the costly suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ who took upon himself the weight of our guilt, the weight of our sin. They long to be with them. They're demonstrating a costly care for these people. And then finally, we see Paul and his companions encouraging growth, an increase specifically in faith and love. It runs through verse 16 to 13. Verse 6, But now that Timothy has come to us, he's brought us the good news of your faith and love. Timothy served, he's returned, and we have been comforted. We've already seen those themes of faith and love show up earlier in the letter. It runs through Paul's letter, but the greatest emphasis is on love. He says in verse 11, as he gives this sort of pastoral prayer, Now may our God and Father and the Lord Jesus direct our way to you. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. Love becomes the central, the perennial characteristic of the people of God, God's family. 1 Corinthians 13, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Colossians chapter 3, above all these characteristics, patience, care, faith, above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Sinclair Ferguson said, without this love, the family of God will only be formal and hypocritical. The Puritan John Owen explains this well. He said that the family of God is like a man going into the forest to gather wood for his fire. He collects all these branches lying around him. But as he does, he realizes he has a problem. How will he be able to get them home? The branches are so different. One is thick. One is thin, one's short, one's long. One is straight, one is all crooked. And so he says he decides to bind them all together with a cord. And thus he is able to carry them home in a bundle. And indeed that cord is love. Love. It's only as we recognize we have a common father, a shared birth, the same elder brother, the same redemption in Christ. And thus, love one another can the fellowship of Christ's church be really what God desires it to be. And he's doing that work. Our God is at work doing that. And I think that all comes as the love of the suffering servant, the love that is displayed in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, so overwhelms us, so overwhelms the people of God that we respond in no other way but to love, to love as he has loved us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your great and awesome love displayed in Jesus Christ. And we pray that that love would grab our hearts, even break our hearts. Lord, give us a longing for your people. How we thank you that you have promised that you will build your church 
you've called us to be a part of that great work. Father, increase our faith and increase our love. Give us wisdom, Lord. Each one of us, give us wisdom in, in the shape, in the form that that love takes. We trust in you that by your spirit, by your great love, you will bind us together. Continue to sustain us, O Lord, and, uh, and guide us in the way everlasting. Uh, for we praise you and we express our love to you, Lord, in response to your great love for us. For this we pray uh, through Christ our Lord. Amen.